Hello and welcome to the Channel V6 Podcast. I'm your host, David Gale. The Channel V6 Podcast covers all the unique and diverse topics that matter most to you, the Uinta Basin resident. Subscribe to listen to in-depth conversations about the local issues that affect us all. Today's guests are Pamela Giuliano, Director of Governmental Affairs for Rio Grande Pacific, and Michael McKee, Executive Director of the Seven County Infrastructure Coalition. Before we get to them, let's start by uh, giving you our first primary sponsor. allows us to make these podcasts, Larson Haslam Dental. At Larson Haslam Dental, their amazing team is dedicated to not only improving your oral health, but to also restore and maintain your overall health. Are you unhappy with your dental service or your dental insurance? Or maybe you don't have dental insurance. Larson Haslam Dental has a solution. It's the Larson Haslam Savings Plan. You can call to discuss the details and see how much you can save with this great plan. Larson Haslam Dental has the most state-of-the-art equipment in our area, providing you and your entire family with all your dental needs. They offer implants, implant-supported dentures, root canals, same-day crowns, and a laser that treats small decay spots and children without getting numb. Larson Haslam Dental is a comprehensive dental office that is happy to treat your whole family from young to old. They also have the most fun and the best staff around. Call now and mention you heard the ad here on the Channel V6 podcast, and they'll schedule a free consultation to see if the Larson Haslam Savings Plan is a good fit for you. You can call 781-2729 or go online at larsonhaslamdental.com. All right, once again, Pamela Giuliano, uh, with Rio Grande Pacific and Michael McKee with the Seven County Infrastructure Coalition. Thank you very much for joining us today. We are here to talk about the proposed railway uh, from Uinta Basin out to join a main line to give uh, some transportation uh, for uh, what we have here in the Uinta Basin to offer the rest of the world. Uh, I know that this has been uh, in the works for a couple of years now, and so what I'd like to do is I'd like to start um, and talk a little bit just about the history of how we got to this point. And after we've done that, then we can say, what does the future look like? What's going to happen next? Maybe I'll let you introduce yourselves individually and, and tell us um, your role uh, so far. Pamela, why don't we start with you? Thanks, David. Thanks for having us in studio today. This is a fun opportunity to talk about a project that's been discussed probably well, for as long as I've known about it, it's been since about 2003. Prior, oh, wow. to, prior to working for Rio Grande, I was a congressional staffer for the House of Representatives and worked for uh, Congressman Jim Matheson. And gosh, I remember when Mike McKee was a county commissioner and we talked about it um, after a, a, an evening function, I was over here for another event. And then when I uh, started working in the congressman's office office a couple of years later, it was a it was a hot topic then. So it's exciting to be working on uh, the project and representing the uh, government affairs uh, side of the project. So I work with the outreach and uh, the legislative and uh, the Utah legislature. Uh, as well as the local elected um, county commissioners and um, anyone in the municipal governments to make sure that we've provided accurate information to, to answer all their questions. And with that, I'll kick it over to Mike and let him, him give the background. Thank you, Pam, and thank you, David. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Appreciate that. Um, you know, the, the concept of a railroad in Uinta Basin is something that's gone back for many, many years. There's been quite a few different studies that have been done concerning the railroad. Uh, Pam mentioned uh, we, we started working together. Uh, 
I became a county commissioner in 2003 for Uinta County. I served there for 14 years, a little over 14 years, and then became the executive director of the Seven County Coalition. But um, back in about 2013, the legislature uh, did a study, and the legislature in this study, they found that we were leaving about a billion dollars a year on the table if we do not address the, the transportation constraints that we have in the Uinta Basin. And they showed over a 30-year period that we would lose $29 billion if we just keep doing what we're doing, if we, if we don't somehow address these transportation constraints. So UDOT uh, got involved and, and did a study, uh, but ultimately at that time, uh, with the things that were looked at at that time, um, it, it fell apart, and uh, so it did not move forward. And, and then in time with the Seven County Coalition, and uh, as we've worked on this project, um, we were able to get some funding from the Community Impact Board, and uh, and uh, we're at a place we've never been before. We're extremely excited about this project, and uh, in fact, we're getting kind of on the on the uh, other end of this of getting an EIS done. And so, but um, as far as you know, what is the need? Why why are we why do we need this project? Um, bottom line is, as as everybody in the basin knows. We don't, we don't have a rail, we don't have a major airport. We're thankful for the airport we have, but we do not have a major airport, no freeway, no rail. Transportation in and out of the basin, in and out of the basin is a challenge. And so we are at a competitive disadvantage compared to other areas, just a, a tremendous uh, disadvantage. And if we're ever going to change our dynamics, we have got to address this. And, and so that's what this project is about. This is what it's doing. And uh, we're extremely excited about uh, about this, and you know I could go on quite a bit, but I'll uh, I'll leave it there. And you may have other questions uh, for Pam and I that would uh, dial sure. into that more. Yeah. Uh, so just getting back to the origination of this, um, I know that uh, a lot of work went into what is the route and the cost of that route, and and having um, you know public meetings that allow people to give their input on that route. Um, as it stands right now, um, is the is the final route picked? Where does it originate? Where does it drop off? Um, and and what's the timeline and cost that uh, is it's going to take to accomplish this? Yeah, thank you. Let me just differentiate what Pam and I are doing here today. So, mm -hmm. route and EIS and those kind of things. That's what the coalition, what the counties are involved is that part, and the actual money and the private side that's actually going to build and operate. That's what that's what the private entity will be doing. So, um, so you know, as we look at the the route um, in doing an EIS, one of the things that's required is you look at all all reasonable alternatives. And I believe there were 29 different routes that we that we looked at. And seriously, I mean, there's there's a lot of criteria that engineering has to go through. Ultimately, that was uh, whittled down to three routes, and then. It's been whittled down to the coalition had what we call a preferred alternative. The Surface Transportation Board reviewed those three routes, and they concurred with the coalition's uh, preferred alternative. We did change our alternative a little bit along the way in the fact that as we listen to public comments, it will cost the private party a little bit extra money to be able to do this. I shouldn't say a little bit because it's millions of dollars more. Uh, but we believe that it, it accommodates the public interest better. And uh, the Surface Transportation Board, are essentially, they've, they've gone along with the recommendation that we have in the proposed alignment. And so that, that alignment, um, 
starts up on the Leland Bench, uh, Mighton Bench area, and uh, would go over towards Indian Canyon, go up to Indian Canyon, and then um, and then on over to Highway Six, and so and then it would hit, it, it would it would join to the Class One Railroad over towards Highway Six, and from there. Basically, products from the Uinta Basin could get anywhere. Right. There would be two Class One railroads, uh, Burlington Northern or Union Pacific, and, co- and really could go anywhere across the nation. Okay. Uh, Pamela, let me jump over to you then, because when we're talking about the cost of these things, ha- how much, how does this all work? I mean, obviously, it's, it's an extremely expensive endeavor to build rail lines. Um, ha- how much of this has come from? Uh, grants or otherwise versus the private sector? So the the project itself, the infrastructure itself, will be built entirely with private-funded dollars. So in the process of commercialization, we're backstopping the, the commercialization efforts with private contracts. That means there's no federal grant, no state grant. The money that's actually being used, I won't steal your thunder. I'm going to let you tell the story on this. But uh, the money that's being used on the community from the Community Impact Board grant is, to Mike's point, specifically for the environmental impact statement. And um, we're estimating that we're looking at about 1.2 to 1.5 billion for infrastructure. But we have other, we know there'll be other costs associated um, with developing a rail line, not necessarily driven to the, um, uh, the railroad side, but, you know, developing um, terminals and, and, and deciding where that comes into play after the EIS is completed. There's got to be a decision on terminals and location there. To Mike's um, point about the um, terminus over on the Highway 6 side, that area is called Cayune Pass. And what we're looking at is the ability to um, provide, you know, global exports for not just our, our basin crude, but we're looking at agriculture, we're looking at manufactured goods, and we're also looking at the opportunity for imports, which is really important hmm. and, and gets talked about very little. But uh, in addition to frac sand, we have the ability to import corn from uh, Kentucky and help generate more of that livestock market that, that there is an interest in. Um, and in speaking with both the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the state of Utah's Depo- Department of Agriculture, there's a real interest in, in the Uinta Basin's agriculture movement. But we also have a manufacturing industry and small business. And you can talk to any one of the um, uh, county commissioners or association of government representatives that talk about the fact that if we had rail, it has the opportunity to help us diversify our economy. Mm-hmm. And and that is probably, the I would say, the biggest stumbling block for the reason that we haven't been able to, to encourage other manufacturing to come into the area. So, so the cost and the partnership go hand in hand and, and being able to um, diversify economy around infrastructure is what seven counties actually uh, that's, that was the reason for them developing this project. Mm-hmm. So. so Pam didn't want to steal your thunder on that. Did you want to say anything about the, well, where the funds came from? Yeah, well, real quickly, uh, we were able to secure uh, it was about $28 million from the uh, Community Impact Board 
for the planning effort. Um, and, and I believe that we had to get that. Uh, uh, there had to be a certain amount of work to be done to really incentivize private enterprise uh, mm -hmm. to get started with this. And I think there's some things that government does well. There's some things that private does well. And I right. think with this public-private partnership, uh, this has worked extremely well in what we're trying to do. But the, the really good news about this is, is the coalition and the private partner has signed a contract. And as they develop this railroad, if they move forward and this railroad is developed, the full $28 million will be returned back to the state of Utah. Now, I, I was on the Community Impact Board for 10 years. Uh, to my knowledge, there's never been money returned back to the Community Impact Board, unless it just plain wasn't used. But money that's been utilized and used, I don't know of any instance where that's ever been returned. And so that's an awesome thing. But in addition to that, in that contract, the private party has also said, we are going to pay the coalition $500,000 a year for the efforts that we put into this over a 30-year period. So for 30 years, we will receive $500,000 a year in addition to the fact that they're going to pay those funds back. But that's only a beginning of, of the benefits that, that's going to come from this railroad. I, I've heard some estimates recently that there'll be approximately $100 million a year, $100 million a year in additional taxes through the revenues coming from the oil and those things that's going to come into the state and our local governments and those kind of things to be able to to help and and the things that the benefits that we're going to get of and that doesn't begin to start to talk about the jobs and the economy right the multiplier effects and all those things yeah. now the all of this money that's coming back from the private party is that was that just part of the agreement that was made with the contract of them taking over Yes, that was part of the agreement for us to have the exclusive right to go out and commercialize uh, the project. And, you know, there's a couple of important notes that go along with this. As Mike pointed out, the, there are some things that the government does well. There are some things that the private sector does well. And there's a partnership that's been developed between the public and private sector. But there's also a partnership in uh, the relationship with the Ute Indian tribe. They've been uh, very good to work with and communicative from day one. And I, you know, I, if I can be so bold and offer a shout out, it really is because the uh, coalition worked very diligently very early on to make sure that there was an inclusive um, uh, communication. There was inclusive communication with all three mm -hmm. groups from, from the get-go. It wasn't um, it wasn't compartmentalized. It was making sure that we were all getting in information uh, in a timely manner. And in, and it's a it, it's a common agreement that this is how we grow our community. This is how we diversify our economy and how we become a global player. Hmm. So. Um, now, where I, I just have to shout out as well. Uh, you know, as Pam mentioned, just a shout out to the Ute Tribe. The business committee and yes. and again we have to be careful. We do not speak for the Ute tribe in any aspects, but right. just the relationships, the the, the very things. Uh, a tremendous appreciation of the Ute tribe. Nice. Uh, so where are we in the timeline right now? You had mentioned uh, the environmental impact statement. Is that the next yes. big hurdle? And and what has to happen next? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, 
Well, the 28th of this month is the final day for, for comments on the EIS. Like I said, we're in a different spot than we've ever been because this closes out the public comments for this stage. And then the Surface Transportation Board, the Office of Environmental Analysis, they take these comments, they will go through them, they look through everything that they do through legalized, through everything they need to do. And it's it, what these comments are, it gives the public one more opportunity uh, you know, where the things that was missed in the first time with the first set of comments was scoping, those kind of things. And and coupling that with all the agency reviews, everything comes together on this. And then they they will have a final EIS that will, you know, that we believe will come out. Uh, they don't tell us exactly when that is, but I believe, um, you know, probably early spring, somewhere spring. Okay. That'll come out and then there will be a final EIS that'll be issued and... Uh, and so there's, you know, there's, there's other things that needs to happen as we go through this process. There's Army Corps of Engineer permits, uh, uh, air permits, uh, state and county permits, uh, Section 106 permits, uh, consultations. There's a, you know, but we are, we're getting uh, down the road in this pretty good. And we're very, we're very pleased at where we're at in the process. And uh, we're kind of getting on the Instead of on the front end, I, it looks like we're getting kind of on the back end of this now. So let's assume that everything goes swimmingly and all of the impact statements come back in a, in a manner that you can continue to move forward. Um, best case scenario, when does the actual construction of the railway begin and how long does it take for that whole process to finish? That's a really good question. It's based on a couple of things. Um, first of all, to have the EIS complete and the, the permits that Mike mentioned, uh, to have that process complete. That's, that's critically important. Uh, and to have the project commercialized as well, to, to have those funds readily available to start breaking ground. We anticipate to be able to move through that process that um, later this year we should have, uh, we anticipate the EIS to be complete May-ish. Well, we'll we, could, we could be a little more optimistic than that, but um, conservatively we'll, we'll look at a, a May-June timeline permits shortly thereafter uh, and to be commercialized in about that same time frame. Then we'll put together a strategy on how we communicate with our local contractors that are interested. In fact, I'm here for the next couple of days. I'm meeting with uh, local businesses who have expressed an interest and want to have a better understanding of what the timeline looks like and just to start developing a relationship. Um, and uh, then we'll put out an RFP for uh, requests to, to engage. Um, the, there's a couple of priorities for uh, companies to consider, and that is that we want tribal and local hire preference from an, anyone that wants to engage in this project. It's a, it's a priority and it's a commitment to the community and to the Ute Business Committee um, that we move forward in an open and transparent process. So we'll make sure that those requirements are put in place. Um, I have a lot of businesses and uh, the Chamber of Commerce's. Um, in fact, the, the Business Alliances uh, group in, in Roosevelt, um, we had a great experience with them. It was last week, I think. Just last week, yeah. yeah. And uh, just a lot of follow-up questions afterwards looking at, you know, what, what does that look like for our local businesses? Mm -hmm. 
What does the, the timeline of hiring employees look like? And uh, because we want this project to move pretty quickly, we're looking at about uh, 2,000 construction jobs over two um, building cycles. And we're looking at wanting to be operational by 2024. So you can see that we're moving quickly. It's going to take a lot of people to get this off the ground. And then we'll have long-term, full-time, good-paying jobs that will work for the railroad uh, once we're operational. So... So that, a lot that, of moving parts. Yeah, definitely. Um, when, when you talk about just the construction aspect of it and those 2,000 construction jobs, are those jobs that um, are uh, those employees of Rio Grande Pacific, or are we talking about hiring out uh, local companies to do that construction work? It'll be the local contractors that are looking to work with Rio Grande Pacific. Okay. Um, we'll have some specialized companies that we'll have to work a little more hands-on with. Um, we're, we've got a tunnel that's a little over three miles long. Oh, wow. So that's pretty specialized work. Mm -hmm. uh, and our long lead on that is we're estimating at about 560 60 days to get that, that done. So, um, and there's a lot, a lot, uh, a lot of other moving parts, including, uh, you know, what goes along with developing bridges and, and smaller tunnels. Right. And, and, and that's kind of what I was thinking that at least for, um, locals, if we're talking about looking for contractors beyond mm -hmm. construction, are, are there other specialized fields that uh, you're specifically looking for locals to fill the gap? Well, we know that uh, some of the interest from the Carbon County side, Carbon and Emory County side, is uh, a, a good number of folks that are out-of-mine coal workers mm -hmm. because they worked in, in tunnel areas. And uh, um, I met with three companies that were coming together to look at um, what a project might um, might require in specialty fields. And uh, all three of those companies pointed out that if we don't have the skill set, we need to start developing those relationships mm -hmm. with that particular industry. So it's nice to hear. Um, I just like the creative energy that's going into this. There are companies that have been here for decades, family-owned businesses that want to, to be a part of something that, you know, we've been talking about this for, for decades, and they want to be included mm -hmm. in this. And the fact that it's private industry part partnering with the public sector right. coming together um, to work for something, like I said, that's going to put us on a global export map that map that we haven't been on before is pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. Now, once once you're operational, and again, you were hoping uh, right now the timeline is uh, 2024, mm -hmm. um, and construction is complete. the The long term employment opportunities or job opportunities. Yeah. What does that look like? Those initially, we we've. On the very conservative side, we're looking at approximately 75 jobs that could go up to as many as 150. It depends mm -hmm. on the demand. Because we're a common carrier shipper, it will require the um, how, what those con those particular contracts look like. And as we develop um, the the demand to be um, shipping the crude. Uh, agriculture goods, any any other items that, that might want to be shipped on the railroad. Um, those are good long-paying jobs, long-term good-paying jobs. You know, we're, if I, I'm, I'm cautious about throwing numbers sure. out, but yeah, yeah. 
you know, they're they're definitely above the um, what what most people are thinking. Um, you know, in that fifty sixty thousand a year range, mm -hmm. it's a little above that with benefits. Okay, Dave, can I just add yeah. one thing to that sure. as well? Um, those 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 jobs that Pam just mentioned are the direct rail jobs, mm -hmm. right? But the thing is, when that rail is here. Uh, what's going to happen is those trains need to be filled. Mm -hmm. They will be filled, be and the reason they'll be filled because the rail won't be built without the contracts. Mm -hmm. Those contracts are going to ensure that those are filled, and and what that does, that spurs a tremendous amount of economy and jobs on top of the jobs that she's talking about there. And so... Uh, we, you know, one of the challenges we've had here in the basin, and, and I go back, uh, you know, as a county commissioner and, and the four years since, um, I think a lot of our businesses right now are struggling. Um, we, you know, at one time we, we were booming here and oil and, and natural gas fell off in the prices and we don't have the money circulating in our community that we once did. And that's one of the things that this rail does is is, you know, there's about 80,000 barrels a day that go to Salt Lake right now. I think for the, for the rail to be built, I think the private parties thought at least as a minimum there'd be an, an additional 130,000 barrels a day. Yes. I think a mid-range was about 250,000 barrels a day, which is about three times the output um, that we have today. Three times more than we have today. There's about 80,000. You add 250 or 130, whatever that is. You know, that, that itself, and, and that's just on the oil side. And as Pam mentioned, this rail is a lot more than just about oil. And, and I think the long-term aspects of what we can do in our community, because I think all of us see, uh, you know, down the road, you know, if we have the infrastructure here, then we begin to compete with any place anywhere. Yeah. And then we have the opportunity to bring in manufacturing. We're able to diversify the economy because that's what our – that's what we all know that we have needed forever is we need to be able to diversify the economy here in the Uinta Basin. Right. And so we change our community um, in some good ways. I think what we're going to have to do, we're going to have to really kind of manage growth, manage our planning. Mm -hmm. But we need to do it in a way so that, so that our businesses and our community, and as we bring this additional revenue and opportunities to our community, um, We'll have an opportunity so if our young people want to stay here in our community, there'll be a job here so they can. Yeah. And I think that's what we've, we've long wanted is not just this yo-yo up and down. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, again, that this railroad brings to us, it stabilizes oil prices to a, to a certain extent. Uh, oil prices are always going to be a bit volatile. But because it, some of this market's going to be tied more to the Gulf than just Salt Lake, it, it has a stabilization effect to it. Because I can tell you, I've, I've been in the meetings, I've, I've seen what happens, and when production is cut, Uinta Basin is one of the first places that get cut. Um, but if we tie in more to this other market, we stabilize. It's okay. also a domestic security platform that goes nicely with, you know, we're producing uh, our, a, a product, a developing a resource, that's right here in the United States. That that's uh, when other international markets 
are insecure or flawed, we're not going to have to worry about that because we've got the product coming right here from mm -hmm. the basin. And to Mark, Mike's point about uh, creating the other jobs, those companies are also going to be investing in their own infrastructure as they grow, in their own um, employee base as it grows. So it is nice to think about the fact that we have students going to USU, the Applied Technology Center, and they're staying here. They're staying put because aside from the railroad, I still need my car fixed. Mm -hmm. We still need roadways taken care of and, and hospitals um, staffed. So to have uh, an infrastructure that supports um, through severance tax and uh, uh, other uh, CIB-type funding to make sure that our municipal governments and our county governments have the funding in place to take care of the needs in our community. It encourages our youth to want to stay here mm -hmm. and, and build their families here with good-paying jobs. And that's, bottom line, that's what this is all about, right. is community development. Well, I'd like to, I, I have some further questions about expected oil and gas export, um, but this is kind of a, a, a good spot for a natural break for us to talk about uh, our other sponsors for this podcast. So let me tell you really quickly about Carl's Carpet. Uh, Carl's Carpet in the U is the Uinta Basin's premier installer of flooring, window coverings, and custom organizers. They've been family owned and operated for over 50 years. For a free estimate, go see them today in Roosevelt or on the web at Carl's with a K, carlscarpet.com. Com. Also, Channel V6 has delivered high school sports, local news, and community events to Basin residents for years. Now everything offered on the website is available in the palm of your hand through the new Channel V6 mobile app. You can watch sports or other events live or view them on demand at your convenience all on your mobile device. The Channel V6 mobile app is available for iOS and Android. All right, uh, so I want to jump back to Rio Grande Pacific because um, the company is taking on this, the lion's share, well, all of the share of, of uh, the construction efforts of this project, which you said was between one and $1.5 billion. That's a very, B. very large number. It's hard to imagine what that actually means. Um, but maybe you can tell us in layman's terms um, why would a company be willing to do this? What What does Union Pacific, sorry, Rio Grande Pacific, because it's a combination of the two railroads, right, originally? No. No? I, I'm not, I'm not let sure me give how you the Rio Grande... Let's have some quick history lesson <laughs> for Dave. Um, so there used to be a Denver and Rio Grande Railroad um, okay. that Union Pacific purchased. So you're you're close. And I was on the right track. There you go. You literally. <laughs> Pun intended. Bum. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, and we, there was a slide that occurred in uh, on Highway Six in in Price Canyon, the up at Billy's Mountain, and the thistle slide wiped out the road, wiped out the railroad tracks. Okay. Union Pacific said we got to get this up and running, and they it, it was it was in record time. I, I forget the number of days, but it was it was a few weeks compared to years that um, it took to get our road running. But at the time, there was a plan to run a, a small short line railroad from the Mary Maryville's branch, and um, that didn't come to fruition, but the company, Rio Grande Pacific, held on to the name. Okay. And uh, when we, we decided to 
um, explore the idea of, of partnering up with the real money behind uh, this is Drexel Hamilton Infrastructure Partners. And uh, we had worked together with them on another project and they asked us if we'd be interested in partnering up. Um, that's where the name Rio Grande came from. Okay. But why would we come to the coalition and um, uh, take part in their RFP process? Actually, it was an ROI, wasn't it? It started out as an ROI, and then, yeah. we, then we converted it to a res uh, RFP. Yeah, and so the the biggest reason is who doesn't a who doesn't love a challenge but this was just an attractive business plan and any any private investor will tell you um, whether it's in the oil industry whether it's a construction job whether it's a grocery store or supply chain it has to pencil out doesn't make a good business is there a good business case here mm -hmm. and there definitely is and like i said a minute ago just the ability to work with the community and we have elected leaders from the federal delegation uh both of our senators and almost all of our all but one member of congress uh, signed on and said, yes, we're interested. Let's get this done. And how can we help? And at our state legislature level, uh, President Adams, uh, Senator Winterton and Hinkins, um, uh, Speaker, Speaker Wilson, and, um, and, and all of our local elected officials said, we're supportive. What can we do? And that, that leads you kind of into the letter and the information that you have in front of you because the clock is ticking. We've got, what, 48 hours and some change left to, to offer those comments. But, but the, it's a very long answer to say there's a community commitment, there's a business case, and there's definitely an interest to help diversify the economy here. Yeah, definitely. Pam, well, let, let me just throw in if I can, because I would sure. you wouldn't want to leave them out. I know you don't. And that's the, the governor and lieutenant governor. Oh, heavens no. Uh, uh, also signed on to that yeah. letter as well. So. Yeah. Okay. They were the first two, along with uh, President Senate President Stuart Adams, that just stepped up and said, let us know whatever we can do, we're here. But the the railway makes its money when things are transported on the railway. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, mm -hmm. in it lowest common denominator, when stuff gets transported, the, the railway makes money. Um, and looking at the business plan for this specific line, mm -hmm. um, I, I know you, you had just, um, Mr. McKee uh, had, had said that there was a, a certain amount of oil and gas being transported on this line um, that would make it viable. To right. the company, that's, so that your return on your investment the was most worth attractive. it. Um, do you have an idea of the percentage of uh, goods being moved that would be oil and gas related? In order, uh, as you've come up with this plan to make it worth the the company's while, um, if, I would say I would say that if if you looked at it from a a, a common carrier, a shipper mm -hmm. perspective. We're at about ninety to ninety-five percent will be oil, and the other five percent will be made up with um, agriculture initially. Right, but right. we don't honestly. I, I wish I could share with you some of the companies I've spoken with over the last couple of months, but I can't. But I can tell you that there's one rather significant company who has said, 
we've wanted to come to the basin for years and only uh, uh, access to Highway 40 and 191 mm-hmm. is is not enough for us. Yeah, so. in the wintertime, you <laughs> almost can't cross it sometimes. Exactly. I just came over 191, and today was actually a slow day in semi-count. There were only nine semis in an hour, but it's snowing up there, yeah. so... So I'm packed and I'm staying and we've got some work to do, but it, <laughs> yeah, you can't move over that too okay. often in the so, winter. So the, the company Rio Grande Pacific sees the opportunity for this to shift over time to mm-hmm. not be so heavy oil and gas. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the time being, I'm, I'm wondering, um, you know, you had mentioned, I, I think 80,000 barrels. Um, going by truck to Salt going Lake. Going by truck. Right. And, and 130 by rail. Uh, on the low end, okay, and that's that's years of production. We're not we're not saying, you know, a ten or fifteen year. This is this is several years out of production out. So it's okay. not it. It's, well, because my next question is, we've had a change in administration, and mm-hmm. we've we've seen just in the last day or two, um, they're taking some some pretty quick uh, action. Keystone uh, XL pipeline permit being um, denied. Um, does the Rio Grande Pacific company view that in any way as being a detriment to this rail line? We are a, a, a third generation family owned company and we've moved products as a, a common carrier for the last 40 years under multiple administrations. So I would say that the the challenges of an EIS, of course, of, of permitting is a bit more challenging under some administrations versus others. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do believe that because it has been done in a very transparent process um, and in partnership with making um, uh, information information available to communities being able to have that that public dialogue that's necessary and and the comments and feedback i think we stand a really good chance of like mike said we're on the downside of this yeah, yeah let, let me just add that there's some very uh, in my opinion very different uh, differences between our project and keystone pipeline yes oh uh, for sure yes as i understand keystone pipeline to get it up and going President Trump did that through executive orders. Through an executive order, it can be given and taken away. And taken away. We have gone through a complete different process. Yeah. Uh, what we're doing is not through executive order. We, we've gone through the front door. We're going through the EIS, and we're getting on the backside of the EIS. So uh, we're in a very different place. Sure. But let's say that for whatever reason, whether it's because of pressure from a new administration or because global prices, that your hopes of the the amount of oil and gas coming out of the Una Basin uh, isn't realized having nothing to do with anything other than the price of gas and production dropping. Um, How does that affect your business plan and the agreement between the coalition and the railway? Go ahead. I was going to say... This is, this is strictly my opinion, For so it's worth whatever it's worth. But actually, I think under a democratic administration, um, I believe prices may actually be better for oil and gas because there, it may be more restricted. And so if a keystone pipeline is not built, um, for those that are producing... I believe prices will be better. I believe that there is a push to green energy and 
And all those things may help prices to be better, which actually, um, from, an, from a production point of view, actually makes it more profitable. Okay. And but I, that, that's my opinion. Yeah, and I think there's a stabilization that happens when you can export your product. Because we're not just exporting to the United States. We're, we're exporting globally. That's one of the benefits to putting the product on rail and being able to get it out to the Gulf. There is always going to be a demand, um, and there's room for there's room for a balance where you can look at um, alternative fuels in other areas. But the, I mean, it's not just fuel that mm -hmm. that petroleum based products are used. Um, they're used in a lot of everyday consumer products, mm -hmm. medical devices. Um, it's it's a very interesting market, and to Mike's um, uh, personal comment. I, I've we've worked under two different ad administrations, um, uh, both a Republican and a Democrat administration has benefits and downsides, and uh, yet we're still around after forty years. So, so I think I think it speaks to the longevity and the commitment to a project, and you manage your project wisely. Um, we're not someone that goes out like i said if it's if there's not a business case and it's not commercialized then you don't have a project mm -hmm. but um it it the global market is where, where uh we see a lot of appetite um, okay. for for the product in fact they're saying you know we just get it here we, this is such a good product um we want to see we want to see that railroad built sooner than mm. later so that we can get our hands on it. So. Okay. Let me speak to the product. Can I do that for yes, a minute? Yes, absolutely. This uh, black wax and yellow wax that is produced in Una Basin is some of the best wax in the world. And people would say, why is that better than other oils? It does have one downside in the fact that it has a high pore point. It, it solidifies unless it's about 115 degrees somewhere in that area. And so you got to be above 115 degrees or it solidifies. So, you know, what comes out of the ground, it's got to get to market. Um, so, the, you know, that's the downside. But on the, on the plus side, it, it has a really good API. Um, that's the gravity. That's the, the quality of the oil. It's very good that way. It's also very low in nitrogen compared to other oils. Mm -hmm. And so when refineries get this oil uh, for a feedstock, it's, you know, it's a real benefit to them because... Mm -hmm. Uh, environmental issues, the less nitrogen you have in there, the better uh, for, for the feedstock. And so, and it's also a very good product relating to, um, to lubric lubricants and those kind of things. And so, as Pam mentioned, there's, there's an appetite overseas for this product. Now, you had mentioned uh, earlier that simply having this rail line here um, would contribute to increased production. Um, can you give me any any figures on on how much so and, and how, how does that all work? You know, I don't think that I would describe it that having the railroad um, necessary. Let me let me just state it this way. I, okay. be I believe I believe we're going to have increased production. I think there's a lot of signs uh, without going into what my what gets behind my belief there. Okay, but I believe we're going to have a lot of production. And so let me just state it this way, but, but by having one of the things that maybe I just know enough to be dangerous, Pam, but I do know the bottom line is for them to be able to 
to get the contracts, they have to have a certain amount of oil that, that fills those trains. And um, so I, I believe they'll probably have a couple a couple train loads a day of oil, kind of minimum, that, that leaves the basin. And so I think what, you know, the bottom line is, it's all about economics, and if you can put that on a train rather than trucks. Now, we still believe those trucks are going to go to Salt Lake. I, we, mm-hmm. You know, we're, we don't believe that's going to change, but, yeah. but we believe that there is going to be increased production. Transportation alternatives um, are a very attractive uh, part of this project, a very attractive component in that we will need trucking. We're going to need a lot more short-line trucking, too. And um, as Mike noted, we won't be impacting the traffic that goes on Highway 42 to the Salt Lake refineries. But to have that transportation alternative makes it a little bit more competitively priced to the ex- the markets we'd like to export to. So getting it on the rail mm-hmm. and uh, shipping it down to the Gulf, there's there's a benefit there uh, uh to the producers as well, so and and that's the the primary destination we believe is is the Gulf, the the Houston area. I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so, what are you guys seeing? Uh, I mean, this has been going on for several years now. Um, what what pushback are you getting? What what are people most concerned about? You know, um, right now the comments that are going into the Surface Transportation Board. They are uploaded on on the website uh, through the Surface Transportation Board, and obviously within the within the communities in the Una Basin, there's a lot of very positive comments. Um, I had an opportunity to listen in to some of the verbal comments, and uh, at least some of the comments that I that I heard, uh, there were some people that's concerned about, and a lot of these I think were people from outside of the area. But but in any case, I think. Uh, Climate change was one of the items that was that's been brought up. Um, there's also been uh, some of the concern has been with property owners, uh, particularly some of the people that have um, summer homes and those kind of things up in the at uh, the top of the canyon. Hmm. As I mentioned, you know one of the things that we've tried to do is accommodate that. Uh, um, but the bottom line is, if you go from point A to point B, um, you are going to go through some land. I mean, right. Uh, and that's, you know, uh, something that we recognize. We, we've wanted to try and be as uh, public friendly as we can on this. Uh, but I think those are kind of the two, two of the main okay. things that I've heard. Pam, I don't know. If I, you... I think you're spot on. I think, um, you know, that some of the comments that have come from people that reside either in California or outside of the state of Utah, not quite understanding uh, the production process and the impact to rural communities. I'm home for me is Helper, Utah. And I can tell you on a firsthand level, the day that power plant closed, um, you know, uh, that meant 70 some people either having to commute, retire or find jobs elsewhere. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a pretty significant impact. And so there, there are comments that, um, are specific to global warming. And while I respect those comments and those positions, I also respect that from a community perspective, we talked a minute ago about the ability to have our children who are educated stay here and have those jobs. Um, Within the uh, um, conventional fuels model, 
we do have the ability to do so. But we also have the ability to diversify that economy should we um, in, in the future have manufacturing that comes mm-hmm. in that wants to, to rely on uh, other components but manufacture those components here to ship them out. So I think to Mike's point, um, I think the the t- the real takeaway on um, uh, benefits, transportation alternatives, and and kind of looking at the picture as a whole. I've I've said it a few times, but I keep going back to it's this community component, and and some of the comments are not quite taking that into account, although. Um, I think overall we've just we've had some really good positive comments and and the landowners um, I know in the uh, preliminary scoping you guys worked really hard Mike to take those comments in and and go to um, the engineers and ask if there was an alternative to you know miss some of those vacation homes and I think they did a, a reasonable job. And yes, we will impact. I'm not going to say we're not going to impact. Um, so we will work with those landowners. And I, I end up seeing most of them on a regular basis, if not monthly, uh, sometimes more frequently than that. Okay. And if anybody still has something they want to say, we've got uh, one final um, a opportunity for public comment, which I just want to make sure we get back to, which is the 28th of January. If you are listening to this after the 28th of January, then unfortunately you missed the last opportunity. Um, this specific meeting, uh, remind me its purpose so that when people go there, they know what they're going to be listening to. So, so the, the 28th, that's, that is just strictly in, in written comments. So they've got until the 28th okay. to go ahead and and put in written comments. The verbal comments, the STB closed that uh, some some weeks ago. Okay, so they, they have until the 28th to send in uh, written comments, and um, I've, I've got uh, an email that they can send this to here. In fact, I'll probably just read it out loud. Or can they find this information if they go on to uh, unibasinrailway.com? Uh, yeah, let's see. I'm trying to remember right off. I don't it's, know it's, that the, it's uploaded there, but we can certainly make arrangements, to, uh, I would the, think. I don't know. Yeah, the, Can we? The, the, there is a website, www.unrlleis.org, yes. I believe. I'm, I'm wondering if it's okay for me to say this guy's email here, because I have, uh, at least on this piece of paper, I've got an email that's I'll supposed leave that to be. Up to... You tell me whether or not um, we want to let the world know that, and um, I'll, I'll happily say it over the air here. Um. That's not the normal way that they do it. <laughs> how, how do people how, make I, comments? Okay, how, let's they're, do they're that. Listening now. I, was, yeah. I was just going to say, how about if we talk you through the stb.gov? Okay, let's do or that. Or it's www.uinabasinrailwayeis.org, I believe. .org. It could be .com. I believe it's .org. I think it's .org, too. And the process, the comment process... Um, from what I'm hearing, is fairly straightforward, fairly easy okay. to make a comment. Um, they will look for comments that are related to sections of the EIS. Um, the um, OEA committee will review those comments based on what's in the EIS. But certainly we have elected officials and local business owners that are saying the importance of this project, if if we're focused on strictly 
on transportation alternatives, what it's saving on the cost of impact of roadways or um, getting money back in mineral lease, what that looks like mm -hmm. for, for our communities and our schools and um, other small businesses. Is that is that a fair statement, Mike? Yeah, yeah. Let me just go back to that website. Okay. Uh, in the Uinta Basin, most of us spell Uinta with an H. That's yeah. right. Uh, outside of the basin, they don't do it that way. It's U-I-N-T-A. So it's Uinta Basin Railway. Thank you, USGS. So. Without without the H. <laughs> no H in this particular we, Uinta. We, we leave the H out, yeah. <laughs> they don't know any better. Yeah. But I think it'll pop up when they start typing it in. It'll probably it, should yeah. should pop up on their browser. All right. Um, well, we're, we're getting close to the end of our, our regularly scheduled time. Uh, final thoughts? What, what do people need to know? I think there's two final thoughts that I'd like to leave. Mike can add on, on to this. But um, I come out to this week to focus on the EIS, but that doesn't mean that this is the only time I'm here. I'm typically here every week. And so if we have local businesses that are interested in scheduling some time to sit down with me and, and visit about how can their business get involved, um, I'm going to give you my email real quick. Okay. P. Giuliano, J U L I A N O, at R G P C dot com. Email me, and I will. I just received two emails while I was sitting in the parking lot asking if they could get on my schedule tomorrow. So. Happy to visit with Very nice. I'll say anyone. that one more time. It's uh, P. Giuliano, which is P-J-U-L-I-A-N-O, at R-G-P-C, that would be Rio Grande Pacific Company, dot Corporation. com. Corporation. Very good. Look at you go, close, David. Close. All right. Not bad for a Monday. <laughs> Thank you very much. Mr. McKee. <laughs> hey, I appreciate that. Thank you. You know what? I would like to uh, just take a minute and thank our community. Our community has been very involved in... You know, almost everywhere, you know, we've just had such great support on this project. And for those that don't support it, we need to be respectful of those comments as well. But but I do really want to thank our community and uh, for everybody. I I want to thank our commissioners from, from all of our surrounding counties, our, our certainly our Uinta County Commission and, and Duchesne County Commission. Uh, they have been outstanding. They've put in a tremendous amount of work. And as mentioned, uh, you know, a shout out to the Ute Tribe, a shout out to our governor's office, uh, Speaker of the House, President of the Senate, our, our Utah delegation, Washington, D.C. There are so many people that have been involved and been so supportive in helping us to get where we're at. And, and I, uh, you know, I, I see this as miraculous. Um, um, I just have to say that I believe that we've had help from above in being where we're at today. And so I, I, I'm, I'm very optimistic. Uh, you know, we haven't quite got there, but I think we're getting close. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate you both you. coming in and giving of your time. And thank you all for listening to the Channel V6 podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions or comments, you can please send us an email at podcast at channelv6.com. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thank you.